Lyrics of the Hub, your fan cast, brought to you by TV Series Hub. Welcome to another edition of Nurks of the Hub. I'm your host for the day, Heaven, joined by fellow Nurk host, Uber. Hey there! And our extra special guest you may know from award-winning series Outlander, or you may simply know his incredible mustache from The King's Speech. So uh, my very first most important question is you is for you, to stash or not to stash? Oh, con- con- you, you have to stash. You have to, <laughs> and it has to be, be well-kept, well-groomed, because people want that. Uh, my other my moment resembles some sort of, probably some sort of etching you would see in a bar of <laughs> someone who was conquering a distant land in about 1860. It's that kind of heavy weight of a sort of bombardier, something <laughs> like that. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, you do have a very well-kept beard, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. One does try. Thank you. <laughs> uh, speaking of stashes or the lack thereof, I have to say... Um, try on Outlander. I, I have what I think is probably the most critical question of our time. Why are you trying to hurt our beloved Murtaugh Fitzgibbons? What did he ever do to you to, to rein Jamie, uh, onto him to make him go after him to kill him? I mean, our precious Murtaugh, what is it? What, what are you doing this for? Why are you hurting us like this? See, I, I, I think your judgment is clouded on this. Um, <laughs> coming from, coming from the, the, the great uh, British Empire, I would say uh, you're probably at fault. Um, I'm not seeing the bigger <laughs> picture that uh, we, the Brits, obviously we, we see as we just conquer and kill as many people as is humanly possible in order to gain as much land as we can. The royalty, uh, obviously. I think that's the, uh, the main thing we're, 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 uh, we're doing. I think very, very much, like much with British colonial rule, it's remove anyone that even has a slight inclination that they may disagree with the grand plan that the king may have, no matter how mad the king may be at the time. Um, but yeah, I think that's, that's, that stood us in pretty good stead, as you can tell by Brexit, um, all the way through the many... <laughs> Many, many hundreds of years of uh, British politics. but um, Such a historically yes, so accurate think, response. Right? Yeah, I like, to, I like to bring it up today. I think, it's, uh, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's important in these trying times. Well, you know, I, with regard to, uh, to Tryon and history, I was thinking mm. about uh, he seemed um, pretty canny, his first interactions with Jamie, sort of playing him. Um, yeah. But then, but then later on, he seemed a bit naive in telling everyone, well, I'm going to do these wonderful things and I'm going to catch the, you know, uh, I'm going to get the, I'm going to get him. Uh, and I'm like, well, that seemed a little bit naive. Uh, so I yeah. guess I want to see yeah. your take on Tryon. Is he genuinely acting on behalf of the crown or is he only saying he's acting on behalf of the crown when really he's just kind of using that title to protect his own interests. Um, I try to get a feel and I guess I wanted to get into your headspace as to where he is in all this. Yeah, no, I I would, I would say that the last part of that is, is, is very correct. I think he's out very much for himself. Having read a little bit about the period and a bit about kind of British colonial rule and kind of how it worked and how the, how, how the, the officers, the, the governors kind of, ruled things 
is they were so far away from the king and the crown and a note would take weeks to actually get there and then weeks to return. They were kind of on their own kind of self-rule. So if they sort of thought, yeah, okay, yeah, we're going to do this. We'll have the protection of uh, the the biggest army the world had, had seen at that time. But it's we're a long way. You know, no one's really going to pull me up here. I'm I'm the king of this patch of land. And so, yeah, I think there's also that kind of bit of male machismo that kind of comes into it with him sort of sharing all this intelligence. He's kind of, you know, showing off, sort of saying, look how clever I am. Look what I can do. Look at the power I wield. And this I can do very easily. I can, you know, end someone's life as well as give life. And I think he's kind of kind of showing Jamie, yeah, I can give you an entire life. I can give you land. I can give you prospects. I can give you all of this. But look what else I can do. I can also just with the blink of an eye or with just a nod can take it away from someone and have them on the gallows. And I think that's a such an incredibly sort of potent thing for a, for one person to have in a new land that they didn't really know anything about at that time. They're still discovering things. It's uh, it's like the Caesars of Rome that would always have someone stood next to them saying, you are not a god, you are not a god, as they would parade through the streets. And I think that's very much like that. You, would, you, you need someone to say, you are not a god, you are just a servant of the crown and that's all that is you are no more than that but it must have been very difficult so um yeah i think he's out for his own ends i think he can see a long game or try and pitch a long game at the moment in the back of my head you in character like walking around backstage but still having that feeling towards people like <laughs> peasants yeah, it's very- i asked for a donut with sprinkles what is this muck just throwing it on the floor and people <laughs> going dare you. kill her how very dare Kill all of them. Oh, thank you I'll, ta- I'll take all of their Lexus and I shall leave thank you goodbye yeah yeah <laughs> it's interesting wearing that wearing those, that red coat with all the kind of history and the weight of history that comes with it being a red coat it does have a potency to it because you know you see it in so many you know paintings and, and read about it so much in the writings of the period just how vile and vicious they were to get what they wanted. So to kind of wear it has that, you know, has the comedy aspect of being, you know, oh, I'm English, I'm wearing red. Why, who on earth would wear red? You'll stand out like a sore thumb. But then the next aspect is they would just, you know, like the Highland clearances, they would just massive and just be so evil. It was un- unreal, unreal. So yeah, it, it's, a, it's an odd, it's an odd, yeah, it's an odd one. Well, with regard to, you know, try and be a historical figure, did you find, I guess, any, what was your challenge in bringing him to the screen like this? Because you have him in the books, you have him in the, in the history. What, mm. When you're looking at this character and you're looking at it in the scope of history, and I love how you're talking about, you know, looking back and seeing how really brutal uh, uh, the uh, British Army was with regard to the clearances now we're seeing in North Carolina. Um mm. What what challenges did you see that you took on with this role? I think it's, it's, it's challenges with a lot of kind of historical figures is to make them human, is to flesh them out that they, they are, no character is one thing. No character is just an evil character. No character is just a good character. You know, it's their flaws that make them human, that make them interesting. So it's that, those little kind of touches of humanity within a character that then cause you as an audience to kind of think 
oh, well, I, I like him, but I shouldn't like him. He's not very nice. I shouldn't like him. And vice versa with a character as well. You kind of go, oh, no, they're amazing. They're amazing. Oh, God, but they've done that. That's, that's quite conflicting. I don't know how I feel about that. And that's kind of life's rich tapestry. But it's tricky to do. It's to pick out those moments and find the moments within the script and with, with the actor you're playing with as well to kind of show those light and shade amongst things, um, which is which is really fascinating. Which is you know part of the part of the the fun, the discovery of you know pitching a real character is making them suddenly real. You know, make them oh okay, they're not just a painting in a grand hall somewhere that you may go and visit. You know, they are. You know, they had families and problems and all kinds of things. You know, so that's 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 the challenge and that's fun. I'm glad you put it in such lovely words because I really feel like that's exactly what you've done with Tyrant. I oh, mean, y- you look at him and you just want to slap him in the face with a white glove. But then every now and then you're like, oh, you're a cheeky little thing, aren't you? <laughs> and I love that this is not your first period piece. You've done plenty of things um, in different areas. One of one of my very favorite on the opposite spectrum of your acting scale is uh, Drunk History. <laughs> oh, yes. Thank you. <laughs> and I'm really curious uh, yes. how that, because for me, that show feels a lot different, being that you have your storytelling side and your lip syncing side. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's, that, that's really quite tricky. It's kind of great in one respect, because as an actor, you don't have to learn the line. They're being fed to you. And you're going, oh, okay, that's fine. But it's in someone else's rhythm and how somebody else speaks, and also how that person speaks when drunk as well, which is quite tricky <laughs> to kind of get your hand around and try and get a little bit of bit of acting into it. But it's incredible fun. It's great, great fun. And, uh, yeah, you work with some really funny actors, and, uh, yeah, just get to kind of play around, dress up, play around, and just kind of make little something out of it. I think I was playing Napoleon at one point and just ate a wheel of cheese, because I thought, <laughs> I think Napoleon would do this. I know both acting and dramatic styles of acting. Um, excuse me. I believe I said that incorrectly. Comedic <laughs> styles. <laughs> they both have their own challenges. And I'm really curious as to how, what are their different challenges? How, how is, um, how is, comedies work different than uh serious work um i think the main the main one with comedy is it's very emotive in a, in as much as if you watch four minutes of a comedy and you don't like it you'll turn it off but a drama you will give it a bit of time you'll kind of think okay it's got to kind of go into the characters and oh okay I'll, I'll, I'll give it a bit of time so comedy is very much like horror in the sense that it gives you an immediate response if something is scary, you go, oh, my God, I'm either going to not watch this or I'm going to continue to watch it. But if it's terrible, you just go, I'm never going to watch this. It's awful. And so the challenge there is, one, to make things funny, and um, which, is, which is always tricky because it's very subjective. <laughs> but, um, and, and to make it real and to make it kind of not fit for laughs. You're trying to play. You're playing both things very similar. You're playing drama. You're playing straight. You're playing the truth and the reality. And in comedy, you're doing a very similar thing, which makes it funnier. You know, if you if you make a note that you're going to go, okay, now watch me now. I'm going to fall down the stairs. It's not funny. You think that's a man falling down the stairs, and he's probably really hurt himself. But to play the aspect of just kind of falling straight down the stairs and then getting straight up again is funny because it's it's a surprise and there's 
Yeah, just how has he not hurt himself? He should be <laughs> right. brutally maimed by now. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's it. I think drama, you get a bit more time to do it, and it's all underplay. It's all you know, less is less is more, and let the words do it, and and uh, the, the the sort of scenery and comedy is beats and timings. There is always that rule of three: da dum da dum da dum. Whether you hit the beat or you miss the beat, the people are expecting it and come after it. There's so many kind of little technical things you can do, how you play around with language, where you put the pauses, the looks. I mean, there's a very famous one over here. Um, there was a comedian called Rick Mayle, who was one of my favorites, and he did a series called The New Statesman, where he was playing a character called Alan Bastard, who was a, a Tory MP, horrendous. And uh, he had a line in the show where it was just no. And he said, I can get three laughs out of this one line. And so how you going to, well, first of all, I'm going to hear you say that, and I'm going to think it, think what I'm going to say. And kind of, <laughs> then I'm going to say it, but I go, well, no, in a funny, funny way. And then his reaction to him saying himself, no. So you can get three laughs out of one word. And you think that's, that's a masterclass in how to kind of pitch comedy and, and, uh, and play it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's tricky, but it's great fun. I've spent most of my, most of my adult life sitting in rooms with other people saying, is it funnier if my trousers fall off when I come in the room or when I leave the room? There's as many in their 40s. And you think, this is not a career. This is, <laughs> this is silly. This is ridiculous. Surely, God. Or, you know, what's a funny word? Is Basildon. Is that a funny word? Birmingham. Not as funny. Things like that. <laughs> it depends on who says it. I, I have a British husband myself. And sometimes yeah. when he says something, I just giggle. Because yeah. it sounds so much different than the way I say it. He used to oh, think absolutely. I was making fun of him when I did it. And I'm like, no, I love it. I want to try and say it, but I'm so bad at it. It's even funnier trying to hear me not say it right. <laughs> yeah, it sounds sing-songy. I think yeah. that's... We've got this kind of like we're going to go up and down constantly, like halfway through a word. We'll suddenly go, well, what is this? What is it? It's ridiculous. Oh, and the history of the word bath and how to say it and who says it where and why they say it the way they say it. I can d definitely see how you can have a full conversation about where the trousers fall. <laughs> oh, without a doubt. I mean, you know, and who's going to dress up? Who's going to dress up as a woman? I mean, it's a great, great, you know, English tradition that a man, no matter what, will dress up as a woman. And go out in the street, and other men will respectfully kind of nod their heads and go, "There goes, there goes a true English gentleman. He's dressed <laughs> as a woman for no real reason. It's a Tuesday afternoon. That's fine with us." <laughs> this podcast is brought to you by TVSeriesHub.tv, your site for entertainment news, reviews, and interviews. Now back to the show. Your hosts today are American, but not all of our listeners are. And I know it's hard sometimes for us to get some of the shows that you have there, you know, licensing yeah. rights or whatever. They just don't cross over. But are there any shows out there, us Americans or those who can't get BBC One or Dave or, you know, anything like that? Something we should yeah. be looking for? Um, I do a show called Upstart Crow, yes. which is about which is about Shakespeare. Uh, which I think is on BBC America. I think it's on. I think that's. I think it's on. And it's also, I think, on Netflix as I well. Believe I believe US, US Netflix Net does have it. Then, yeah, you should definitely get involved in that as it's about um, Shakespeare. I play Christopher Marlowe, author of Faust, um, and Shakespeare's best, best mate. And all set, yeah, in that time period. Very funny, written by 
uh, Ben Elton, who wrote the classic series Blackadder, and wrote The Young Ones, which is kind of a seminal cult comedy over here. Um, and he wrote the new Branagh film that's just come out, All Is True. But that's a drama about Shakespeare, whereas this is a comedy about Shakespeare. Um, yeah, so he's got a great a great cast, and he's very, very funny. Um, and he's a good, yeah, a good kind of traditional British comedy. Silliness, and a lot of wordplay, and, uh, and Shakespeare. So it's all there. It's all there. Look, you Brits do love your Shakespeare all day, every day. We do. Most of us have no idea what we're talking about when we talk about it, but we do love a bit of Shakespeare. It's one thing we can go, yeah, we're proud of that. We are proud of that. Not all that, but that we are proud of. <laughs> Would you consider Toast of London to be a classic British Absolutely. as well? Yeah. Seems very, exactly very the right it's, level of key. Yeah, absolutely. It's got that kind of Python, Monty Python-esque silliness, irreverence to things, and kind of makes no sense. Filming it, it doesn't make any sense, but it's hilarious. Just I mean, one of my favorite lines in the whole series was when I was having a sex change. I mean, already it's ridiculous when I was having a sex change and the guy said how much do you want to spend and I said 50 quid anyway and he says really for 50 quid I could turn you into a llama and for some reason that has always amused the living hell out of me just for someone gives 50 quid that much I could turn you into a llama it's brilliant <laughs> that makes complete sense to me that just made me think of my favorite line of yours in season 2 episode 4 of Chewing Gum ah uh, yes yes <laughs> And uh, and you go, I'm gay. And she's like, you are? And you're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, look barely <laughs> under your breath with an absolute straight face. And that's exactly what you were talking about, about you need to get around one word or one not even a word, and you can get yeah. a laugh from the front, middle, and back of it. <laughs> yeah, and it's, and it's all about kind of, you know, racking up tension of kind of, do I do, I do this? Do I not do this? I'm, I'm going to go with it. Just going to see what happens with that. Are you gay? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Oh, we're gonna go with that. Right. Okay, okay, fine. Yeah, great. Yeah. <laughs> how we're gonna how we're gonna roll? Great. <laughs> well, from uh, drama and comedy, I'd like to talk about your charity work. Could you tell me about Sick Children's Trust? Yes. Yeah, the Sick Children's Trust, uh, are a charity I've worked with for I think about four four years now. And what they do is they provide um, a home from home for uh, the families of ill children. So whilst the children are in hospitals like Great Ormond Street or there's, you know, there's um, uh, the Royal Marsden, which is in Cambridgeshire, um, they could be many hundreds of miles from their family home. So they provide homes that are close to um, the, the hospital for their kids. They have a direct telephone line with the ward. So if anything happens or if just they want to cuddle or something or just kind of be near their child at any point, then um, yeah, then that is uh, what they can do, and it's a wonderful, wonderful, you know, amazing charity. Um, they're doing yeah, really incredible work, and uh, yes, uh, it's it's a great honour to kind of be a part of their team, and uh, hopefully kind of forward their work and help raise more cash for them. And that's not the only charity you do work with, is it? No, no, I do. Uh, I'm an ambassador for um, uh, some, another charity, um, which is Blue Sky uh, Autism. Um, which uh, are a small Scottish uh, charity. Uh, they now have um, an office down here in, in London as well. Um, and, uh, yeah, they're very much sort of hands-on work with kids with varying degrees of autism. Um, but they use an American uh, rather than a British model because it's a lot more um, sort of fluid, and a, whereas ours is kind of racked with bureaucracy Wait. and all kinds of 
Did you just say an American did something better person? I know it's I know it, it's unheard of. I mean, we'll give you the motor car and this, and that is that's it. That's where it stops. <laughs> oh, thank you very much for playing along. I do appreciate you. <laughs> but that's it. You get you get one shot, and uh, I'm sorry. That's it. <laughs> well, we will absolutely be sure to. Um, I don't know if they have Twitter accounts, but if they have Twitter, we'll tag them. If not. We'll be happy to put yes, um, in the listings of our initial posting of this podcast the information on how our viewers can uh, get together and help out with Sick Children's Trust uh, and or Blue Sky Autism. Amazing. Thank you. Thank you. Well, I wanted to ask you, um, this is a question that I, I ask uh, most of our guests, and I have gotten some of the most interesting uh, responses to it, which is um, if you could you know, wave a magic wand or touch a standing stone or whatever and have a conversation with your younger self. Yeah. And then you could give yourself advice, um, you know, your teenage self, whatever, about life, about family, about the business, whatever. What would you tell your younger self? I think I would, I would tell myself to be bolder and mm. kind of just be bolder with your decisions when you're younger. Because it, because you can just bounce back all over the place. You don't realize just kind of how resilient you can be when you're like 18. You know, there's, you really have no idea. As soon as you start having kids and houses and cars, it's a whole different thing. But be bolder with it. Make kind of broader strokes, especially with, uh, with acting and comedy and, and things like that. It's just kind of, you know, push, push it further, push the boundaries further. See, see where you kind of fit in, see where you lie, because you'll always find kindred spirits within within different uh things i mean i you know i started off doing improvised comedy on a barge on the river thames um mm. which was terrible like four people came i mean it was terrible but you, you you learn your trade from such things from kind of going out and just dying on your ass kind of going this is not i'm not funny i'm not a funny person at all this is terrible i should go and do something else like i don't know you know be a mechanic anything than this <laughs> You learn from it, and I think I should have done more things like that, just been bolder and just kind of gone, yeah, great, okay, and just, uh, yeah, take take kind of every opportunity that comes your way, no matter how ridiculous, you know, the gaining of life experiences is uh, is a wonderful, wonderful thing, and it creates some great stories. I've been to some ridiculous lessons by kind of following a similar thing, but, um, yeah, I would say that. Be bolder. Yeah say yes to things don't necessarily kind of be british and go well i don't know what it is late and it is <laughs> well now since you mentioned it i have to ask what did happen one time when you were bold and a crazy thing happened i, I feel like i oh. saw the corner of your eye just touch upon a memory when you said that just some of the most ridiculous things you will find yourselves in uh just with groups of people like for instance i remember going out to a to a, to a bar once i just kind of i didn't know a single person there and i thought okay we'll just kind of We'll see. We'll see how see how the evening goes, and then I ended up in some uh, party for FHM that a, that a guy I was with said, "Oh, I'm I'm running this part. Why don't you come in?" So I came in, and then it was just kind of on three floors. There were people, you know, for me, which is a big thing. I'm a very big darts fan, and um, there was uh, a guy called Eric Bristow who was called the Crafty Cockney. But you could go and play with this guy who was a seven times world champion. And just kind of come up and go, hello. And I'll just throw it up. And it was one of those kind of weird kind of 
almost hallucinatory kind of moments of going, this is very strange. And then walking into a next room and going, this is all very strange. How this is all kind of happened by just saying, okay, yeah, I'll do that. Yeah, okay, let's, let's see what happens here. Let's see what goes on here. Let's see what happens here. And I still know these people now, 25 years later, having never met them before from that one night, and I still know them, still know them to this day, which is extraordinary. You know, we go to our Okay, things have slightly changed. But, yeah. <laughs> Maybe not every kid's party, but still. Not every, because that would be odd. <laughs> just to kind of randomly turn up a man with a moustache. Hello, See, that's perfect. Take some chances, put yourself out there, and you might make yourself some lifelong friends and have some silly, entertaining evenings. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Why not? You know. Now, was there singing at that party? I know you you sang a little in Toast of London, right? There's uh, lots yeah, of music little... happening in that show. <laughs> um, yeah. Is that something you well or something you get roped into on occasion? <laughs> Well, I I like to do it. They like me doing it. Um, and that, that's been that way for quite for quite some time. As I think, I can really belt out, belt out, a, you know, a Bonnie Tyler or an eighties power ballad. Other people would say, please don't, please don't do that. There are the elderly and children present. They don't need that. There's a defibrillator nearby. We need use of that. Um, I hope no, you know. I, I, if we were in studio together right now, I would be forcing you to sing 80s power ballad right now. One of the worst decisions I ever made this now was I was in uh, a karaoke bar um, for uh, a friend of mine's birthday who, for some bizarre reason, his uh, cousin decided to bring all his friends who were drag queens uh, to this karaoke bar. So we were in a very small kind of karaoke room and me and this other guy decided that what would be a really good song to sing right now would be something Motorhead. They made such a bad choice in my, in my life as they'll have like, oh, okay, I'm 30 seconds in. We've got another nearly four minutes of, <laughs> of this surge to get through, but I got to kind of just hopefully get through to the end. That was, that was one of the worst decisions I've ever made. I haven't even put my fist in the air for the power ballad yet, and I'm already tired. They're already, everyone is already looking away and chatting. <laughs> even the sequins have, have just dulled down. But this by then, you've, the you've come too far, and you can't just like walk out in the middle of the songs to like follow up with this ridiculous promise you've sort of made. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The promise of music, which has been denied the people for the four minutes that I started singing. <laughs> But you just got to keep going and hope that they're kind. <laughs> so you've got Outlander obviously on your plate. What other projects are you working on? Or is there anything you can tease about anything on your plate that's coming up that we can get excited about? Um, there's, uh, what have I been doing? There's uh, a series I exec produced, actually, late part of last year. Um called The Jewish Inquirer, that we're just editing at the moment and kind of grading and all the sound and all that kind of stuff. Um, again, comedy set in North London uh, on, a, on the fourth best Jewish newspaper in the UK. So you, can, you know it's not very good. And uh, <laughs> it's about a journalist. So it's a bit Curb Your Enthusiasm kind of style. Uh, it's about a journalist who I play who thinks he should be working for the big broadsheets, for the big, you know, the Guardian, the Telegraph, the Times. Uh, but he's actually not that good, and he really only should be doing something like this, like, you know, he's got a pothole in a road, or someone's cat has run away, and they're very distressed, and that kind of thing. So that's coming out. Uh, I think 
late later part of this year. We don't know yet. We haven't got any set dates or times or anything like that. So we shall we shall see. But yes, that was quite a quite an experience. A good fun, good experience. So one question we do like to ask uh, all of our guests, if we can, is your fans. You have such a broad range of things you do. I'm sure you have yeah. a, a, a very much a variety of fans. What are some of your favorite fan interactions yet so far? Um, some favorite fan interactions. Um, well, they have, they, they have been incredibly generous, which is something that's always quite surprising to me, just how generous people can be with their time or what they kind of offer up. Um, I mean, I've had things, I've had things like food parcels sent uh, from uh, New Zealand to London uh, because they're about me. And you kind of think, where do you think I live? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I don't, but thank you. It's, it's, you know, thank you for sending. It's amazing. As well as, you know, an incredible woman um, knitted me um, a blanket like a huge blanket. It's incredible. I mean, still, we still, we have it on the sofa. It's, you know, an incredible thing. As well as some odd things, like someone sent me a model of Air Force One, um, which, which was interesting. Apparently, I think a relative works for the CIA, which again is quite worrying. They really, So that's, again, quite worrying. <laughs> um, but I now have a model of Air Force One and a mug that says CIA operative. So that's good. It's fun. Um, it's like a badge of my, honor. My favorite thing I had was, I remember writing on Twitter once, I had a, I found this like 1960s girls annual um, and it had, as was the thing with 1960s girls annuals, like knitting patterns and it had a particular knitting pattern for a beret. Um, and I put that on Twitter and I said, well, this is, this is hilarious. I mean, who on earth is going to knit this? And someone said, well, I'll, I'll do that. And I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and, and, and they did. And they sent through uh, what is affectionately known as the breakfast beret, which I wear in Toast of London. In one particular episode, there's a yellow beret with uh, an egg, a little little fried egg, some bacon, a sausage, I think some beans, and it was all kind of beautifully crocheted. And I thought, I've got to wear that in in uh, in an episode of Toast. And I and I do as well. I guess it's one of the best things I've ever kind of been sent. It was so random. It's going to outlive me. It's amazing. I'm sorry, sir. Did you somewhere along the line forget how the internet worked? I obviously did. I thought I thought all this ran on coal and and steam, and most of it was made of tin. That's honestly what I thought. I mean, I had no idea that that was it would be as quite as uh yeah. I I, I don't know what I thought. I thought I thought maybe just people will post like nice book reviews about things. Like, well, oh, that's interesting. Rather than you know, picture a breakfast beret from a 1960s girl called Mandy. I think it is. It'd be very odd. I'm very gonna be odd. so excited when I get to that episode. I know the story behind that hat. <laughs> yeah, it for most. It for most of the episode. I was very proud of it. I can tell you. <laughs> As you should be, and I'm sure whoever made it for you was just over the moon with the excitement that you actually wore it on the set. Or, I, th- on the I think show. they were. I think. Oh yeah, I think. Well, I think they were. I mean, it's it's it's, it's now you know embedded in comedy history now. So <laughs> one, one. it's famous. <laughs> I have one extremely random question for you. I've read in a couple different interviews this thing you have with owls. Oh yeah. I'm curious yeah. as to what the story about that is. That's, that's a good question because, I, to be honest with you, it, it, it's kind of crept up on me as well. I just kind of, I just kind of like, just kind of like owls, not in kind of like a secret society kind of way. But I've always just had a, a bit of a, you know, an affinity with with owls and then you know when i when we got married uh my wife and i got married we um 
we had we sort of hand drew our uh, wedding invitations and it had an owl on it so we always thought oh okay well then maybe that's that thing so we have like an owl door knocker i mean we didn't we don't want to go crazy we don't want to be kind of like they're the crazy owl people imagine Trash how that house everywhere. smells <laughs> exactly it's like dead mice everywhere and you know that kind of tang of irony blood from you know all the, all the recent kills dreadful um so there's nothing like that but we try and do so i try and do like an anniversary thing so every year is like you know paper first year paper second year cotton is find an owl that kind of fits that. Otherwise, the house would be literally a menagerie of just <laughs> owls. That, that, that would be very strange. Um, but yeah, I think, and that's, yeah, that's kind of it. I don't know why. It just always kind of crept up on me. I don't know why. I mean, they're not the most friendliest of creatures. They're big and they will go for you. So it's not like having a kitten. Well, you know, I'm sure you could go through some ancient for something they mean and protect or do for you in your home. I'm sure, you know what, I'm absolutely sure. I'm sure there's a kind of Hedwig thing going on there and kind of like, you know, kind of wisdom of the owls or kind of mechanical owl, which I think was in Jason and the Argonauts, I remember watching as a kid, where, you know, it was like Laurence Olivier as Zeus and it had that kind of mechanical thing, that kind of Harryhausen, uh, Ray Harryhausen kind of animated kind of kind of thing. And I remember that owl quite, quite vividly. Maybe that's where it's from. Who knows? Is that door knocker named Hedwig? You have to name it now. I'm going to have to name it. I'm going to have to go out and name it. <laughs> hey, out there have names on them. And I always thought that was so it's just not a thing here in San Diego where the homes aren't generally quite as old as they are in anywhere in England. <laughs> <laughs> it's good. Apparently it was the coming of the railways that took away the names of houses because really? they needed the all. Yeah, apparently so. Apparently so. <laughs> I don't know how that, how that works. But I've said it with enough English authority that you feel it should be true. <laughs> well, like, well, it's, he's English. Surely that's true. I mean, you know. Surely it goes right along with just the English accent, just in general. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Except when you're in Brussels trying to work out what on earth we're going to do come about four weeks from now. <laughs> anyway, I digress. I digress. <laughs> I digress. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm cool, sorry yeah. we've sent you oh. down such a random rabbit hole or owl well, I'm, very, I'm not glad of it it's all we ever talk about at the moment it's what on earth we're going to do I mean we can go back uh, to when the best time to put on are that's, that's fine we can finish that, that one which, which is actually what I think I'd be thinking right now <laughs> for Tusk to see the trousers first or after maybe where, where, where the, where's the power level where's the power play here? for her to even have that conversation the thought of it is making me just die of laughter in my head right yeah. now it's basically where British politics is right now. <laughs> well, don't worry, American politics are not any less comical at the moment. <laughs> We're doing very well, the two of us. We're doing very well. Really, right? really well. You, you have yeah, to laugh yeah. or you die. <laughs> right. You've got to. You've got to. And well, get away, it'll get better. Before the a uh, ridiculous political rants. <laughs> I gotta say, thanks so much for coming on and joining us. We have really enjoyed your performances in Outlander and King's Speech and Chewing Gum and so many other ones. I'm excited to look up Upstart Crow and the new statement that you mentioned. Um, the new Jewish Inquirer, that's what's coming up for Jewish us, right? Inquirer, yes. Yes. That's right. <laughs> and we will be sure to give you all more information on Tim's charities, Sick Children's Trust and Blue Sky Autism when we air the podcast. Thanks so much for being here with us. 
Pleasure. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to another NERCS podcast. Rate us, leave us a review on iTunes, and follow us on Twitter at NERCS of the Hub. And let us know what you think. 